This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey guys, this is Alex, or as we call him here in the basement, self-identified listener number three. <laughs> and what's funny is, when I'm not stacking Benjamins, I'm usually counting gold in my Los Angeles bunker, maybe buying a new van for the missus. Sometimes I call my significant other and tell them to stop tracking the time it takes to manage our rental empire, such as in 15-minute increments, so that I can jet set from Hawaii to the middle U.S. on a budget airliner to get one hell of a deal on a new car to drive back to Vegas just in time to tell my best friend about the trip to Vietnam that my family and I went on. Did I mention I went to Vietnam? <laughs> what? Doug, Doug, get out of here. You're ruining the intro. Gotta go. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. everyone, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Would you believe me if I told you it's National Bosses Day? And that means there is one lady in this house we all need to suck up to today, and that's Joe's mom. Just before we taped, she reminded us to act like great hosts, use our inside voices, and answer a flock of your letters, especially if we want to take part in her wine-infused tea party later. Of course, that means we're throwing out the stops and the Haven Lifeline, dissecting the freshest headlines and serving up enough of my trivia to guarantee that she seats the table for everybody. And now, two guys who can't tell Merlot from Sauvignon Blanc, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. One of those is a red one, I think. I was going to say, if there's one thing I do know, it's the difference between white wine and red wine. <laughs> is that bad? Like, if you know uh, the names, no. if you know the names of the wines on a restaurant wine list, does that make you an alcoholic? <laughs> well, it'd be even better when you can identify when it's mispriced. <laughs> <laughs> They're charging too much for that. Yeah, that's bad. It's the other way around, actually. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show. I am Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And joining me again is the unbelievably wide awake, Mr. OG. Yes, I'm only on my third glass of Savion Blanc. <laughs> Savion. Savion Blanc. We better get to the letters soon before the advice gets very, very, very interesting. It's like that ESPN commercial. Chicken. Look, touchdown chicken. Chicken, chicken, chicken. <laughs> Hey, you know, teleprompter. you know, OG, the uh, term financial services is interesting, isn't it? Because for a lot of people, they probably feel it's really an industry that just services itself. We talk about that 
fairly often here on the show. M1 Finance wants to change that, help you take control of your money like never before. With M1, you create a customized portfolio so you can invest like you should, or you can let them create one for you like those crazy robo-guys do. Don't throw your money into some investing service that you can't control under self-directed brokerage. It's so complex, you don't know how to get started. M1 makes it incredibly simple. Log into an intuitive interface and technology that automates the process once you set up your account. And if you need help, they have dozens of professionally designed portfolios you can choose from to get started. Guess what? It's free for the first year. You can kick the tires for 12 months if you just use code STACKINGBENJAMINS when you sign up for M1, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash M, the number one finance. This show also is sponsored by, this is a new one, OG. Get this, LinkedIn. How about that? You're a LinkedIn guy. I'm definitely LinkedIn with some people. You're LinkedIn with donuts. You're <laughs> I'm linked, linked up with donuts. Yeah. Is Dunkin' Donuts like your closest connection on LinkedIn? <laughs> Krispy Kreme. But seriously, thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Stacking Benjamins. You know, the best place to find great talent for your hiring needs is LinkedIn. Businesses rate LinkedIn 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. For a $50 credit toward your first job post, visit linkedin.com slash SB. By the way, you definitely want to use our link, linkedin.com forward slash SB for that $50 credit because it also shows LinkedIn that you heard it from us. Terms and conditions apply. Big thanks to LinkedIn. Man, great show today. We're tackling people's letters. How about that? We've got letters. But first, we got some headlines, so let's move. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. First headline comes to us from New York Daily News. Iggy Azalea. Is is that your... is, Is it Iggy... Obviously. Azalea? Nope. Iggy Azalea reportedly sued by American Express for $300,000 in credit card debt. That's, uh, I mean, that's, that's a nice... That'll, that'll wake you up in the morning. That's a nice start. It says Iggy Azalea might want to try being a little less fancy, in quotes. The, <laughs> the Black Widow rapper reportedly owes almost $300,000 in unpaid credit card bills, and American Express is coming to collect. Azalea, 27, owes $299,147.81. Almost, this is the kicker, guess how far that is over her credit limit, OG? Uh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't know. 10 times? 250000 uh, over credit limit, so five times. Over. So is this, is this American like- Express's fault? How does she manage to get over her limit? I mean, I've accidentally done that once or twice in my life. Have you? You know, they give you a little grace, maybe, but they're happy to charge you 30 bucks. Right. But it's like, you know, so you can go to the movies. It's not so you can buy a Ferrari. Like, Man. hey, so I know my limit's 50. You guys think it'd be cool if I went to like 300, 300. That is that. Yeah, I don't I don't get how she got so far in over, over her head. Well, and Amex doesn't just want that now. They want back the full total plus legal fees, according to a reputable oh, source yeah. called TMZ. Sure. Very, oh, yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, that's like the king of sources. The Australian native's new album, Digital Distortion, still doesn't have a release date, and she recently said on Twitter she won't be releasing any more singles from it. So good. She uh, is coupling she the fact no that no income she, and now owes Amex 300 k okay. What's wrong with that strategy? That just... Uh, that's a lot of money. But you get... You, you don't want to go over that limit. Like you said, the fees that they charge you for going over your credit limit are a monster amount. Like, I, okay, I can understand people that are listening to our show and they're 
they're changing their life around, they're, they're getting themselves out of credit. The first thing we'd always do when we put together a plan with somebody to help them pay off their credit card debt is if they're getting charged those over limit fees, we're paying that card down first, regardless of the, the, the debt snowball, the avalanche. Like, I don't care about any of that. We're getting everything inside the, the, the house. Yeah. Right? You got to get it in the green. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't under, I uh, don't do that. I mean, I guess maybe it's more logical that it happens if you have a $300 limit, you know, than if you have a 50,000 limit. Is that ex- more excusable at that point? But but to your point, you know, you got to keep track of that stuff if you need to. You know, credit cards are not to be used for cash advances, right? I mean, it's not because you don't have the money. It's a convenience issue. So you don't have to carry $300 in your pocket, yeah, right? right? That's right. the idea behind it. So in theory, if you're using them correctly, should you not be able to just immediately pay them off? Even if you have a $300 limit and you go, well, that limit sucks. I spend $1,000 a month. Well, gosh, you should just pay your credit card every Wednesday or something. You yeah, know? Well, and that's why I also like these uh, for busy people. I like uh, some of this fintech that's out there like Debitize. Yeah, Debitize. Exactly. Right. You get your points and it pays it right away. Pays it, pays it, it immediately. By the way, I think that Iggy uh, needs just a better f- financial team. Because in 2016, she was hit with a $400,000 tax lien from the IRS for allegedly failing to pay taxes in 2014. So you release a hit album, the new classic, you make a bundle of money, and then you forget to pay $400,000 in taxes? Oops. Yeah. That sounds like a Britney Spears album. Oops. I <laughs> did it again. Our second headline comes to us from Napa-Net, the National Can't Association. Take me anywhere. National Association of Plan Advisors. They're the people that advise pension funds and 401ks, these retirement funds out there. Study finds new frugality among boomers. You know, we've always heard this story that baby boomers are people that just care about themselves and they spend lots of money and it's all me, 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 me. And we used to hear that. Now all you hear is that's millennials, right? Oh yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's always a new generation for us to pick on, except boomers were the other way around. Like even when I was a kid, I heard that people my parents' age, that they were you know, they were all into their own thing, but um, not anymore. This says Alliance Life Generations Ahead study of 3000 Americans found that more than seven in 10 boomers said they feel financially prepared for retirement, an increase of almost 15 percent from 2010. So, well, yeah, the market's up double since then, so they feel pretty good. Yeah, but do you also think there's something behaviorally here, OG, where you start getting close to that goal and all of a sudden you you realize I got to start playing because boomers are on the they're on yeah, the button right they're now. They're the five yard line going in, right? Yeah, and so if you haven't saved enough, you you start downsizing your house. You figure out uh, how to how to skimp on groceries. You start looking at the numbers. I think it's skimp on groceries. I think it's a, I think <laughs> it's I think it's both those. We had Amanda Holden on uh, on last Friday. Now she's the dumpster diver. So maybe they figure out a dumpster dive, hang out, hang out behind the McDonald's at, uh, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon, right after the lunch rush. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. It's that, you know, uh, some frugality coming into play. I think kind of what we were talking about before we hit record, uh, what's going on with you in your life, right? You've got a couple of college kids that are college age kids that are done with college now or almost done and kind of flittering away on their own, uh, off they go. And, and that's affecting the the financial decisions that you and Cheryl have. So I think that's a combination of that stuff going on. It's the, it is the goal thing, right? I mean, 
we've worked on short-term kind of midterm goals in our family in the past. And you, you're right. You get really close. You're like, Oh boy, if I can just squeeze this and stretch this, then we get there about a month earlier or we can, you know, whatever type of thing. So it's a little motivation along the way. That's what I like about these, uh, about a budget where you are constantly communicating with the people that you're budgeting with, because I find that working on those shared goals together and you start getting real about the numbers, which I think is where boomers are at starting to get real about these numbers. You make them black and white. Like for a lot of people, I feel like the goal is so far away that we can see the sweater we want to buy that's in front of us, but we can't see, you know, we haven't drawn a picture in our head of that long-term goal and what it looks like. And the second that we start doing that, all of a sudden we start saving for it. It is really difficult, especially when you're kind of in your early, like mid thirties, early forties, you know, we visit with clients and we do these calculations and say, okay, you need, you know, three and a half million dollars when you're 65. And they've got 87,000 in their 401k. I mean, that just seems like an insurmountable number. So I can understand how it could really feel like, oh my gosh, that's so far away. I'm 35. I got all the way to 65. I got plenty of time. But you really have to turn that into something that you can do monthly, I think, that allows you to kind of just take those steps toward toward that because it really does turn into big money after a while. I'll tell you, the worst news in this study are for people my age. It says millennials are... Wait, your age? I thought the whole story was about people your age. Not, that's baby Burn. boomers. <laughs> Come on. Millennials are mirroring boomers and feeling prepared for retirement. 74% of millennials say they're prepared for retirement and having confidence their income will last a lifetime. That's 76% of millennials, which is over the 67% of boomers. While Gen Xers, people my age, are feeling more vulnerable the millennials and Gen Xers in the poll have the same overall median retirement savings level. Guess how much money that is? Uh, 94,000. 35,000. Bam. Oh. Yeah, that's uh millennials light. millennials feeling confident with 35,000 even is light. But I'd rather be a millennial with 35,000 than be a Gen Xer with 35,000. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think again some of that might be a little generational, right? Like Gen Xers kind of lived through a little tough employment stuff going on with the recession and kind of just coming out of it. Whereas some millennials, depending on how old they are, got in right as the wave was kicking off. Compared to boomers, millennials have embraced online apps to help manage money and track spending. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's yeah, important. True. I mean, yeah. man, uh, Cheryl and I with that Clarity Money app has been fantastic facilitating discussions and goal setting and stuff beyond technology more millennials are comfortable using traditional money management methods like a notebook or planner to manage expenses i i can't believe that boomers aren't even using a notebook uh i mean that's that's not johnny come lately what is this thing if if only i he had needs like you get the boomers that big green ledger book with the like the visor the, ab the, the abacus yeah right where's my abacus Gertrude. <laughs> Took uh, you a while to think of some old person. It, it, that doesn't have to. I like the name Gertrude. I think it's a good know, name. Yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, lessons here, I think embracing, you know, it's not about technology. Getting started today on prepping for your retirement goal, hugely important. It, even if you're a boomer, not too late to start. Right have a now. goal. Have a plan. And then number two, find yourself behind on the credit card bill. Maybe uh, pay down, maybe pay down below the credit limit. But if you're Iggy Azalea, coming up with that two hundred fifty thousand to get back in in check, plus the legal fees that Amex wants back, uh, you might want to solve that problem a little earlier. 
All right, OG, we got a new star of the show today, and that is you. If you're running down the road and you sent us a question, hang on because there's a good chance that we're going to answer your question today. I love the letters episodes. We're going to start off with our new friend, Prashant. Prashant says, hey, Joe and OG, love your show. It's one of the most entertaining financial podcasts around. I think we're good for that, but, uh, you know, don't try to learn anything. I'm an immigrant working in the U.S. and hope to get permanent residence at some point, maybe five to seven years out. I've access to fixed deposit accounts in India, which give six to 8% interest rate annually. The interest isn't taxable in India, and I don't have any income in India. I only have to pay taxes in the U.S. for the interest amount. So from a guaranteed return perspective, this looks like a pretty good option to invest. But there's a currency fluctuation risk. How should somebody in my position decide what percentage of savings, non-401k and non-Roth savings, invest in these types of foreign fixed deposits versus broad market index in the USA? Thanks, Prashant and uh, OG. We've got currency risk. We have uh, maybe some other risks that Prashant's not looking at. Yeah. So um, here's a couple of thoughts. I guess it really depends on what your goal is in the long run. You, know, you said maybe you'd like to have some permanent residency in the U.S. over the next decade. If you think that you will be at any point in time moving back to India or going to spend any uh, appreciable amount of time, time, there? Yeah, yeah. time there, then the currency risk isn't an issue because presumably or it's not as big of an issue, I should say, because your yeah. goods and services will fluctuate in terms of costs associated with the ebb and flow of the value of the the currency. It only is an issue when you try to convert that currency to a different currency. Right. You know, or, or the currency exchange at the time that you make the investment. Yeah, exactly. So I don't have a specific dollar amount or a percentage. I, I don't know that it's right. Everybody's going to be different on that, but I guess it kind of depends on what you envision the future going to, you know, to be, if you think, well, gosh, I'm still going to spend, you know, three months a year, in India, that's my goal. My family lives there. We're going to visit. You know, I might live in the U.S., but you know, whatever. Then there's nothing wrong with having a denominated currency in the uh, in the country. And this goes for any country, I guess. You know, if you're going to spend any any long time there, because you don't have as much risk. Now, if you're trying to do it for an an arbitrage opportunity, right? I think I can buy it for this. I'll sell it for this. I'll get some interest. You know, then it's going to be much much riskier, of course, along the way. So. I don't know that I would be interested in playing the currency arbitrage game. Yeah, no, I have no interest in that either. Yeah, that's I, on the high end of that's that's <laughs> in that bell curve of risk. It's like, I yeah. like people from another country if they're knowledgeable about investments in that country, investing in investments in that country. And mm -hmm. I caution people that aren't in that country about doing it. But I also caution people who think that they know a lot about the investments in a, in a country from diving deep without the depth of knowledge. So, you know, when somebody tells me six to 8% guaranteed, back when I was a financial planner, I had clients from India that deeply knew what they were getting into. I would just make sure that you deeply know what you're stepping into because when I've got a fixed rate of return of six to 8%, there, there is some risk. I mean, well, there's, there's other things to be aware of too, right? I mean, if you're talking about bank deposits, the banking laws are different in different countries, not just India, but, you know, in the U.S., they're they're guaranteed by the government. You want to make sure that, you know, like you said, what you're getting into. And you bring up an interesting point, too, as it relates to future investment. That would be the other way. The other reason you'd want to have 
uh, denominated currency in that country if if you felt like you would be investing in you know real assets or something like that buying a business or something it would also be good to have that currency in that country so a lot of it depends on your goals if you're thinking hey i'm never gonna go back and i'll never visit then i don't know why you'd want to have money in then don't, yeah then don't do it thanks for the question prashant next question comes to us from ali she just listened to our battle of the sexes episode it was really good. Love the way you approached the topic and the fact that uh, you featured it on your show. This was, by the way, when we had Alexander Tossig, uh, Senior VP of Women Investors. And if you remember, OG, in that Battle of Sexes episode, Fidelity had done some work with all the retirement accounts and money that they manage, where they showed that women actually are better long-term investors than men. And really, it doesn't matter who's better. Uh, what mattered was, was that we learn from mistakes bad investors make and learn from the great traits that long-term investors have. So Olga says, love the way you approach the topic and the fact you featured it. I feel passionately about this because I agree that fundamental differences between men and women absolutely affect their approach to their financial well-being. I was hoping that Alexander would have taken it one step further. Vanguard came out with a similar study a few years ago. Their study also found that women were better savers. Also, it noted that men had larger balances. This had to do with the fact that more women than men cut their career short to start a family or move to a more work-life balance position for the same cause at the expense of career and salary growth. So the bottom line is, even though women save more when they save, they end up with less in retirement savings. It is what it is. Women have children always have and always will. And maybe due to society or even basic hormones, maternal instinct, we prioritize family and children over career. I'm a woman and a mother. I totally get it and agree. If I wasn't in a financial position of having to continue working, I would have absolutely quit to stay home with my kids. So what do we do with this conundrum? Because you can't have it both ways. That would be unfair to the men. With the benefit of hindsight, what I can say now is that the important lessons people don't learn on your show, happy face, are that much more important for women. They have about 10 years between starting their job and starting a family. So if they don't get it together and hit the ground running from day one of employment with maximizing their Roth 401k HSA and curbing expenses, they won't have enough saved or they'd end up in a position of not being able to afford to stay home with their children. Basically, women, at the least women that want to start a family, cannot afford to play around and, quote, discover the right way. Of course, his comment's full of generalizations, and hopefully you get what I mean, and it doesn't take into account marrying a rich husband, another happy face. But I would venture to guess more women are in the situation where their paycheck counts or they're the primary breadwinner or they get divorced. Financial education is extremely important for everyone, but among my circle of friends, I end up talking to the husbands about Roth conversions and the wives about the piano lessons for their kids. Go figure. If you made it this far, many thanks for reading my little rant. I'm just so thankful you're covering this topic and bringing to light the importance of financial education to everyone. Love what you do. The podcast is the highlight of my commute. Allie. Oh, gee, I don't think there's much we can really say on that one. I think she nailed it. I I, I don't disagree. It was... <laughs> That was a well, well-constructed comment, but no, it's true. And it's not just women that have to hit the ground running. Right. And she said, it's a broad generalization, but everybody needs to, right? Like we've, we've shown time and time again, that the faster that you start saving even a little bit, the faster, you know, just to, to exponentially compounds beyond that. So the best advice of course, is to uh, don't, don't waste your twenties and early thirties trying to I think she said, discover how to do it correctly. You know, max out that 401k, max out your Roth, max out your HSA, all the things that she said there. Yeah. Financial education, 
regardless of of who's the primary breadwinner, Farnoosh Tarabi was on our show talking about when she earns more and some of the issues that that presents too. That's a little bit older episode. So if you go to Stacking Benjamins and put in Farnoosh Tarabi, you'll see her talking about some of those issues. But if somebody, regardless of the sex OG, decides to leave the workforce to raise kids, Allie's exactly right. You got to get on the stick now. Yes, sir. A quick note from Todd here. Todd says he loved our frozen banana discussion in the dessert portion of the show. When did we have a dessert portion of a show? I don't even know what he's talking about. He says, I may have a bag of 20 black bananas in my freezer. What in the world am I going to do with all those bananas? I wouldn't know. No, no clue. Next up is a question from Evan. says, hey, all. Hey, all. Recently, my wife changed jobs, one nonprofit to another. The job sheet, does that mean that, that Evan's wife isn't, doesn't make any profit at her old job or at her new job? That's the, that's the type of- I don't of, think that's what that means. That's not what that means. Good. That's good. The job she left at a pension program. Sadly, I had very little knowledge of it. Her new job offers a 403B, but only after she has worked there for a year. We're, we were planning on leaving the money in the pension plan until we could roll it over in the 403B, even though we were not informed this was not an option. So we scrambled to get an IRA and Roth IRA set as no one seemed to be able to tell us that the pension was pre or post tax. So now onto the question, I don't understand pensions at all. Can you go over how they work? Also, having an IRA and a 403B, is this allowed or can you have only one tax deferred account at a time? Any help would be great. And thanks for your efforts as I know there's nothing you can teach anyone. Well, maybe Doug's trivia. Slightly dazed and confused, Evan. Yeah, Evan, we're there with you, pal. But I think we get your question at least. Might not be able to answer it, but we certainly can try. Yeah, we'll give it our, uh, the old college try. Swing and a miss. Okay, so uh, real quick. Yeah, you can have multiple tax deferred plans, right? You can have a 403B. 20 of them. IRA, a, a 401K, a 401A, a 457. A, simple, you know, a SEP. Simple, SEP. Keo money purchase plan solo 401k you just can't contribute to all of them at the same time <laughs> that's the bummer <laughs> that's the bummer part of it so uh no problems there that's your where they get is, that's where they get you yeah exactly so your pension's pre-tax so the company received a tax deduction for putting the money in you're going to roll that over to your traditional ira or your wife's traditional ira rather uh, if you want to do that you don't have to unless there's the plan balance issue sometimes if it's a small balance they force you to do that if it's you know under five thousand, they say hey we're just gonna get this rolled over they don't want any part of that once it's in the ira you can do with it as you please invest however you want you can contribute to that ira this year because she she won't have access to the 403b if you want a tax deduction uh, when the 403b does become available you could, if you wanted, take the money from the IRA, put it into the 403B. You could do that. I don't know that I'd want to do that, but you could. And when you're contributing to the 403B, let's say a year from now, you can contribute to your Roth IRA. You just can't contribute to your traditional IRA the same year that you contribute to the 403B. And there might be income limitations on some of the things that OG is talking about. So sure. ch- check with your tax advisor. Check with on your those tax advisor. Numbers. We are not tax professionals. You know, the way I like to think about it, Evan, there's these things called defined contribution plans and defined benefit plans, and all of these qualify as one or the other. Defined contribution, if you just break that apart, because that sounds like gobbledygook, the part that you know is what you're putting in, which means you got no clue what the heck you're going to get out, right? That would be anything where you're putting dollars out of your paycheck in and it has an investment on the inside. 
what you get out depends on how you invest it and how much you put away. Define benefit plan. You don't really see the money come in. And if you do, that amount may vary depending on a lot of different circumstances. But the big thing is, you know what you're going to get. And that's based on a number of years of service or some predefined formula. So define benefit. We know what we're getting out of it. Define contribution. You know what you're putting in. And uh, I always I always seem to think, oh, gee, in terms of one of those two, is this a defined benefit or is this a defined contribution plan? Well, and it's going to matter also, it matters who makes that contribution. Right. right? Yeah. Most of the time, right? Unless you're self-employed. So if it's a defined contribution plan, you are making the contribution. If uh, I'm just laughing because every single answer we have says, well, except in this one case, <laughs> except in, except <laughs> in this look, role. I'm looking at you and you're smiling and I can't figure out why. I'm like, but, uh, I'm smiling because it's so ridiculously complicated. It doesn't have to be. But it is. Yeah. Well, yeah. So write your senator. I've got his email address on my phone. <laughs> that that we, we could have just started, Evan, we could explain this, but write your senator. <laughs> we should have just said that. I was telling you to write your senator. Oh, me write my, yeah, yeah. Well, let's just tell Evan to do it. Evan, write my senator too, as long as you're <laughs> while, doing While that. you're writing senators, send one go. to everybody. Yeah. Hey, uh, my throat's getting a little scratchy. Time to get up and grab some coffee, OG. I see Doug coming down to the basement, which is another reason to flee. Let's uh, see what Doug's got for us today for trivia. Hey, money fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I figured out a way to make sure Joe's mom includes me in her wine-infused tea party later. Two words, chocolate chip cookies. That'll put a smile on her face. The cookie's in the oven, so to speak. So let's move on to the best segment of the show, my trivia. Here's today's question. When did Noah Webster publish his first dictionary? I'll be back with your answer right after this. I've talked about this stat before, but this is scary. According to a 2016 Gallup poll, 48% of all Americans don't own any stock. And I realize it can be dawning when it's time to start something new, but here's a great thing. Getting invested is more to do with taking baby steps than leaping headfirst into Wall Street. Here's Brian Barnes, founder of M1 Finance, on just how easy it is to be invested. So you just either log on to the website or use the mobile application. We're native on Android and iOS, and it takes about three minutes, and your first $1,000 that you deposit is managed for free. I'd love to say the free $1,000 is a special deal I made for you, but uh, Brian and M1 Finance are that good to everybody. With M1, you can select from one of dozens of professionally designed portfolio pies, or you can customize it, as mom says, to your heart's content. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash M1 finance for more. That's stackybenjamins.com. M, the number one, finance.com for more. So just fire up their mobile app, M1 finance, be invested. Big thanks to LinkedIn for supporting our podcast. Have you ever tried to hire somebody? Because it is hard. OG, when do you visit job boards? Um, usually never looking for that big podcasting job, right? Podcasting co-host. Yeah. Right. Well, because you know, often your best candidates, they might already have a job. So what if you went to a place where people go daily to grow professionally and explore job opportunities? In fact, we already know that 70% of the U S workforce is in this place. It's called LinkedIn. You already know LinkedIn is the world's largest professional network. Well, it's also a better way to find great talent. Just ask any of the hundreds of thousands of businesses who've posted to LinkedIn jobs over the past year. 22 million professionals. 22 million. Yeah. View and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week. 
And because LinkedIn considers skills, experiences, location, and more to match and promote your job to potential candidates, businesses rate LinkedIn jobs as 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. Our podcast is only as good as its people. It's the same for your business. Every hire matters. So don't settle for just posting and praying the right person's going to stumble on your role and apply. Head to linkedin.com slash SB and get a $50 credit toward your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash SB for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, it's Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, again. I'm back and pleased to report that nearly half of my homemade cookies for Joe's mom are cooling in the kitchen. Where's the other half? Well, maybe I sampled a few to make sure they were done. And man, were they done! I'm sure Joe's mom will share a cookie with you if you answered today's trivia correctly, which was this. When did Noah Webster publish his first dictionary? The answer... Noah Webster's first dictionary, the American Dictionary of the English Language, was published in 2016. I'm just kidding. It's 1828. Wow, that's almost as old as Joe's mom. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, be right up. Oh, sh. I think she heard me. Hopefully, a belly full of cookies will help my case. See ya. I think two things. He's in trouble and. You were way off. Way off is relative, I suppose. 44 years off. You know, my second guess was going to be 1828. I thought about that. It was right on the tip of your bullshit, wasn't it? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. We'll we'll leave that alone. Hey, let's uh, throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle one of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most. Right now, it's got to be chocolate chip cookies and milk. (laughs) Absolutely. Except in this case, it's just family and time, unfortunately. They were the first life insurance startup, also wholly owned by industry giant Mass Mutual, that created a high-quality, affordable term life insurance policy you can purchase entirely online. Qualified healthy applicants can even skip the medical exam. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote and to learn about life insurance the modern way. And today we're throwing out our lifeline to our brand new friend, Meredith. Say hello, Meredith. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Meredith. Thank you so much for your podcast as you make the long Chicago rush hour commutes a little bit more tolerable. I have a question for you about mortgages. I'm looking at buying my new home within the next six months. In the past, you've advised to have a lower monthly mortgage amount to allow for more cash flow to be invested in the market. Um, However, I was wondering if my situation, you would advise something different. I am hugely debt adverse. And also, I'm looking to use that property as an investment property. For example, I'm looking to live in that property, but also get a roommate who will cover the majority of the living expenses. I'm looking at repeating that process over the next two or three years until I have a handful of rental properties. So I was wondering if that would change anything about paying down the mortgage sooner as an investment property. 
few more things about me. Again, I'm very debt adverse. I'm also in the military. So a VA mortgage loan is available to me, which means I can put down a loan with 0% down. However, I do have over 35% saved up. I would just love to know your thoughts on this to see if the old adage of a lower mortgage would be still the way to go and pay it off over time. Thanks so much. Meredith is debt adverse and wonders if she should have a bigger mortgage. Uh, there's a little kind of dichotomy there a little bit, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're pretty debt adverse too, which is why we talk about maybe not having as much of a mortgage. So I think uh, I think that way Meredith kind of answers her own question. A couple of things popped in my head as Meredith, as you were talking there. I think you got to look at the timeline of what you want to accomplish here. I'm not not 100% sure, but I thought that there's a restriction on how many times you can use that VA in sequence. I think you got to live in the house two years before you can do it again. I think that's why she said, though, that she was going to do it, repeat it every couple of years. I heard her say that, but maybe I just misunderstood. I thought she said I was going to do that a couple of times over the next Uh, couple of years. Yeah. Anyways, so make make sure you understand what those rules are. If you're looking at it as an investment property, then actually you do want to put as little down as possible because the cash on cash return then goes up, generally speaking, right? So if you put in, let's say that you can get your- uh, Cash on cash cash return, I'm sorry for people that don't know what that means, is you're putting less money toward it and it's leveraging a higher return on the investment. Yeah, yeah, you're going to get a higher rate of return on the investment piece of it. If you're treating it like an investment, I would definitely go with the longer- term mortgage, the lower pay, the lower of the payments, right? Set aside for a second, the choice of the actual house size, right? You know, should I buy a $150,000 house or a $350,000 house? I'm really dead adverse. Well, buy the $150,000 one. That's, you know, but, but in terms of the time frame of the mortgage, I would want the one with the most flexibility because if you're treating it like a rental, well, eventually you're going to have, you know, if you're buying a duplex, you're going to have a rental what if you don't have renters in there? Now you got this big high payment. And what if this happens at the same time when you've got three of these things and now you got three high payments? I would want as much flexibility built into that as possible personally. So I think being debt adverse is great as it relates to consumer debt, right? But we're not using it for consumer purposes. We're not buying a stereo system. But still, there's something else that bothers me, which is that Meredith said that we, you know, like a smaller mortgage, so you can invest more in the market. That's not why I like a smaller mortgage. I've seen too many things go wrong in somebody's life where they can no longer handle the mortgage. And as an example, the main reason why people default on their mortgage isn't because they're some kind of a deadbeat loser that just doesn't pay their bills. It's because they got disabled, right? That's the number one reason. So bankruptcy, same thing. Yep. Yeah. So, so, so if something happens to you and you can't afford to pay that mortgage and, and you know, the, the, the answer is right in Meredith's question. She intends to get a roommate her, who helps her pay the mortgage. What if she doesn't find the roommate? I would base that mortgage decision myself on being able to maybe tightly, but be able to afford it without the roommate and then, and then find the roommate to lower that through the floor. Maybe the roommate pays for most of it, if not all of it. I mean, how great would that be? But make the decision based on doing it without the roommate so that you're not sorry later when the roommate just doesn't appear. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of things that can snowball out of that. All of a sudden I can't afford my house payment. And and it's, again, it's one thing if it's one, it's another thing if you do this every two years for six years, 
now you got three of these and they all got to go upside down at the same time or they all need major repairs at the same time or whatever the case may be you want as much flexibility built into your plan as possible i think nothing against the rules to say i'm going to accumulate a whole bunch of cash and then you know in 15 years from now i'm going to write a check and pay it off Thanks for the question, Meredith. If you've got a question for the Haven Lifeline and would like us to throw it out to you, not only is that the quicker way onto the show, but you'll also get one of those cool Haven Life-sponsored T-shirts, the greatest money show on earth, Stacky Benjamins, showing me as the ringleader. And uh, one of those two elephants is uh, OG, in fact. Nice. <laughs> I was seeing if you were going to catch that, and unfortunately you did. Head to stackybenjamins.com and across the top, You'll see the questions for the show tab. Click on that and you'll see the Haven Lifeline. And also you can write us a letter. And speaking of letters, let's get back on the horse, man. We've got plenty more in this year mailbag. Start the uh, second half of this podcast off with one from Caroline. Caroline says, love your show. And I've been listening for the past year. My question's regarding asset allocation, diversifying your shizzle, OG. <laughs> I'm 32 years old. And my current allocation is about 80% equities. Equities would be stocks. 10% bonds. Those would be bonds. And 10% CDs. With bonds returning around 2.5% in recent years and CD interest rates increasing to be about the same, she must have like 20-year CDs to be getting 2.5%. <laughs> Does it make sense to have a portfolio that's 80% stocks and 20% bonds or 80% stocks, 20% in CDs? Are there benefits to one or the other? So she's basically asking, it sounds to me, bond or a CD, OG? Yeah, are bonds and CDs the same? They are not even close to being the same thing, right? They're, they're I mean, well, that's not fair. They're, I guess maybe they're kind of close, but they're, they're not. They're not the same thing. Well, and CDs are going to be guaranteed. I mean, they both are. If, if you take a bond out at the beginning, you're going to put a specified amount of money you know ahead of, ahead of time. You're going to get a yield that you know ahead of time. And assuming that the company doesn't go bankrupt, you're going to get money out at a specified time. So, and Well, and you're talking about an individual bond, though. Yeah. And she's but, in all likelihood buying. But in that way, when you say bonds and CDs are the same, that's how they're the same. Similar. But yeah, when you buy okay. a bond fund, I think it is a lot different. Right. So a CD, if you, let me put it this way. If somebody could guarantee you 2%, and then somebody said, we're pretty sure we can pay you 2%. Which one of those is a better deal? Well, I'm going pretty sure. <laughs> I like no, the, go, I like the yeah, maybe. you're going to go with the guaranteed option. Absolutely. You go, hey, I can guarantee two or I can pretty sure give you two. You take the guarantee. Kidding me? So in that regard, if the, the closer that bond yields get to the payout on bonds gets to the payout on CDs, boy, the CDs look more attractive in that in that regard, I would say. There's a lot of other issues with bonds right now and that as bond interest rates go up, the value of those bonds go down. You know, we've talked, we think about it like a teeter totter and, and the further out the bond is, meaning the better interest rate you've got right now, the bigger the price swing is if it changes. So, you know, if you've got a really short bond, a short duration, we call them duration, but a short term bond, you know, interest rate changes aren't going to affect the price that much. But if you're trying to get a really good interest rate, you've got to get a really long term bond and the interest rate swing is going to be much more profound. And in that regard, I think it's a little riskier than CDs, yeah. even if the interest rate's a smidge better. Yeah, I think if she can find two and a half percent on a CD versus bonds over the short term, the CD is the winner. The, the issue is, is what's the penalty to get out of the CD 
because over longer periods of time that aren't this one particular period of time, bonds are the winner over CDs. If you're looking long, longer term. Well, yeah. Yeah. But they're different. But the, the, so, the yeah. It's yeah. like saying what's, what's better apples or. Which means, which means my thought process is Caroline, let's start with your goal and how far away is that goal and, and forget about what the short term thing is for bonds because th- then you're going to have to if you put in a cd now then you got to move it over to a bond later because that's where you think it should be long term you're going to forget to do it and then you're going to end up with this interest rate that's suboptimal and uh you know richard thaler just won the nobel prize you see that og and it's all about behavior you know yeah i sent well i sent i sent that's what i recommended to him <laughs> To your buddy Rich, oh, you recommend the committee that they that they yeah, pick your buddy no, Rich. Yeah, I mean, the committee. Air quotes the committee, right? I mean, they call me up and say, "What do you think?" And you know, I said, "I said, old old Rich, you're always happy." Doctor T, I call him Doctor T sometimes. You're always happy to help out, right. Doc T. Yeah. Well, it's because of his mohawk. You know, and then I call him up. And I'm like, "Hey, dude, what's up? Did you get a phone call yet?" He's like, "What? What, what phone call?" I'm Nothing. like, "Oh, I can't tell you. That's a secret. You'll see." <laughs> He's like, "I think I know what it is." I'm like, "Don't jinx it." Thanks for the question, Caroline. May says, hi, Joe and OG. I'm obsessed with your show. I like that. Mm -hmm. I became a listener a couple months ago, and I am hooked. I listen to your show every day, and on the weekends, I listen to your older shows. Sometimes I have to listen to them a few times because I'm looking up the definitions. So you already know how hard it is for me to understand y'all when y'all jack around. And I'm over here thinking y'all are serious. Has a big smiley face. I still laugh even when I don't understand the joke or sexual comment. We don't we don't do sexual comments and laugh about it again later when I finally got it. But sometimes I would ask my boyfriend what it means and he'd look over at me funny, probably asking himself, where's she hearing that from? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, boyfriend. Feel bad Wait, for that. What does dude. it mean when uh, anyway? Yeah, that's right. I'm 24 years old, taking two classes for now, trying to get into the nursing program. And I'm also working for a toxicology lab part-time and waitress food runner. Wow. May's busy. I've basically been on my own since I was 16 and I'm just now learning about retirement savings, tax write-offs and credit score. Because of your show, I've opened a Roth account through Charles Schwab and an M1 account. I can only invest 150 a month because I'm paying for bills and send money to my family back home. Would sending money to my family back home in the Philippines be considered a donation? And and she, she actually has another question, but but I think we'll stop there. It is a donation, but on your tax not form, the, it's not. Not the kind. Not, not the kind that you think. Yeah, not yeah, the kind that you can write off, write off. May. Nope. It is no. very kind for you to send money to your family, um, and so it gives you a warm place in your heart and helps them. But it doesn't give you a tax break. Uncle Sam does not care. Yep. Sorry. On a completely different subject, May continues, my friend has a retirement account from Macy's and she's been putting 25% of her check for five years now. Macy's fired her, a very controversial reason why she got fired recently, and she's wanting to switch everything. <laughs> it was just a little too much information moment there. But uh, now I want to know why. I do like, want to know why. May, you got to write back and tell us the controversy. Uh, and she's wanting to switch everything to a Roth IRA account. How much do you think the fees will be? Maybe just leave the money alone. What would you do? Thank you, May. So she's got money in a Macy's 401k, wants to get it to a Roth IRA. So generally speaking, uh, if you've put money in a 401k, you've put it in pre-tax, although 
more recently, it's become more popular to use an after-tax 401k, a Roth 401k. But let's just assume that this is a regular old-fashioned 401k and she's received a tax deduction on it. If she wants to move it from that 401k to a Roth, you got to pay the tax man along the way. So if the balance is $50,000, then this year she would show on her tax returns an extra 50000 of income. She'll write a check for the taxes, whatever that is, uh, you know, $10,000, $12,000, something like that. And into her into her Roth IRA it goes. The only reason you'd want to do this or the only way that this really makes sense is if you've got the cash to pay the tax bill because you don't want to take the money out of the account to have to pay the excess tax bill. Alternatively, you can move it right from the 401k to a traditional IRA, just a rollover IRA. No taxes, no penalties to do that. As it relates to fees, you know, every brokerage company is going to have their own fee schedule, but um, but there's a lot of do-it-yourself places there that's, uh, that shouldn't be too obscene. Taxes, setting aside the tax money is the big, is the big piece of that. Well, it doesn't make sense if you don't do the, if you pay the taxes out of the account, you, you are losing you, the benefit. You, you absolutely wrecked it, right. Uh, thanks for the question, May. And that's going to do it for today, man. What a great group of, of letters and Fun Haven Lifeline. If you've got a letter for the show, yeah, stackingbenjamins.com, and you'll see questions for the show right at the top. Click that link, and you know what? That'll give you the Haven Lifeline. It'll give you the the uh, letters option and uh, lots of fun there. Thanks to everybody who's done it. Also, thanks to everybody who's left a review of our show. You know, that tells people what they're getting into with the Stacky Benjamin Show, and we appreciate that very much. And finally, if you're looking for good financial planning help in your corner, OG's taking clients. And it's stackingbenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G to uh, get on a schedule and find out what that takes. Hey, coming up on Wednesday, he was, like a lot of people, living the rat race and bought himself a very nice BMW, had a fantastic condominium, making a bunch of money and spending most of it. And he took that and instead decided that... uh, That wasn't for him, and retiring in his late 30s was for him. He saved up a ton of money over half of his income and well over a million dollars in a very short period of time. Chris Reining is going to come down to the basement and tell his story to us. And if whether you're hoping for an early retirement, hoping for some motivation to save more money than you're saving, whatever it might be, Chris has got some great tips and uh, can't wait to hear from him on Wednesday. That's coming up then. So go out there and make it happen, everybody. Go stack some Benjamins. We'll see you Wednesday. Bye-bye. Mr. Doug, it's all yours now. Take it away. Sure thing, Joe. I'll tell them what they learned today. Why don't you just get back to that monthly shower of yours? Here you go, folks. First, credit card debt. Spending money on credit without a plan to pay it off every month can easily turn into debt death spiral. Ooh, that sounds awful. Even if you're somebody like Iggy Azalea. Second, Take a hint from baby boomers. It's never too late to start putting one foot in front of the other to save for your goals. Although waiting until you're a baby boomer's age? If you're younger, it might be easier to start saving early, so compounding interest rates help you along the way. But the big lesson? Don't eat the cookies you were supposed to give to Joe's mom for boss's day. Polyester doesn't stretch like it used to, if you know what I mean. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjaminsCast or on our Facebook page. 
Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Special thanks to Joe's mom for inviting me to the wine-infused tea party, even though I said she was old and ate all the cookies I made her. She said I'll be the best cabana boy her friends have ever seen. I don't know what that means, but sounds like fun. You're watching some TV, huh? A little bit, uh, sometimes while I'm sitting right here. While you're answering letters? <laughs> just watching no. a little TV? No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I wonder what that faraway look in your eye was, but it was just you looking over my shoulder at the TV. Yeah. Was it? Huh? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Move yeah. slightly to the left. Right. So uh, what have you been watching? I just got back into Designated Survivor. We talked about this probably early this year sure when i kind of picked it up i'm still in the first season the second season has already started so i'm still kind of behind uh, the times on on this on the season here but uh, it's starting to get good i think i'm on episode maybe 10 ish or so and it's starting to uh starting to be very interesting it's started out as of course um, an attack on the capitol building during the state of the union the last person was the secretary of housing and urban development. You know, he was the designated survivor, maybe basically a nobody. And now he's president. It's kind of jumped ahead a little bit. He's, he's definitely into past his hundred days and that sort of thing at this point, but there's already been an assassination attempt on him. There's already been an assassination attempt on some other members of the, the uh, government. He's working to reseat the government and get special elections. And, and all the while, the public thinks this terrorist organization was the one that was behind the attack. But there's a small contingent of people saying, might have been on the inside. Oh. So it's starting to unravel right now the the, the, the plot of this kind of, you know, this crusade of this kind of interior group of people that kind of think it's an inside job. And So you're loving anyways. it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of cool. It's like Jack Bauer's president, kind of, sort of, but without... Uh, not exactly Jack, but it's kind of funny because Kiefer Sutherland's, I, I think, iconic character is Jack Bauer. You know, I mean, he did that for, what, eight seasons or something. And he, it's funny because he'll 
he's this kind of passive president, but then all of a sudden he'll like flip a switch and he'll, there's a scene where he's addressing these Democrat senators and Republican senators about seating a Supreme Court justices. And they've already agreed on it. They're going to do four Democrat judges, four Republican judges, and one, one independent, right? And then one of the sides decides that they want to throw a monkey wrench into this. And so they basically walk out. So everybody stands up and they go to walk out and he stands up. He goes, sit down. And it was totally like Jack Bauer, like, you know, grabbing the bad guy by the throat and going, where are the nukes? You know, but uh, (laughs) anyways, so I watched uh, a Netflix documentary called Long Shot. It's only 40 minutes long. And what I heard about it ahead of time, it's a short shot, right? It's a guy who goes to work one day and uh, gets out of his car. And all of a sudden there are cops all over him. He's on the ground and he's been accused of murder. And he now is, uh, looks like he's going to get the death penalty because even though there was only one witness to the, to the murder, it was a credible witness and um, he had been involved in some things earlier. So it certainly looked like it was him that did it. And I can't tell you what happened except, (laughs) except 40 minutes of excitement. I will tell you this. My friend Jason told this story at lunch yesterday. He said, you know, my mom calls and I'm taping the Arkansas game, right? He's a big Arkansas Razorback fan. Said I'm taping the Arkansas game, talking to mom and says, mom, don't tell me anything about the Razorback game because I've been busy cleaning the garage and I'm taping it. All right. So don't tell me anything. She goes, okay, I won't tell you anything, but you're going to be happy. (laughs) Great. Don't tell me anything. So I will tell you, I will tell you this part, 40 minutes long. And at the end, you're going to be happy. But the cool part of the show and what I'd heard ahead of time was that it's Larry David who inadvertently helps get him cut loose. Larry David, Mm. like the Larry David. And so I heard that ahead of time. So I'm telling you the same thing and really fun 40 minute documentary long shot. And then, uh, I also went and saw a movie, Battle of the Sexes, with uh, Stephen Carell and Emma Stone playing the parts of Billie Jean King and uh, and Bobby Riggs. This is from 1973 when Bobby Riggs was pretending he was very much a chauvinist. Really, wasn't. He was just stirring the pot, making some money, making stuff happen, keeping himself in the headlines. Uh, and Billie Jean King went out on the court with him and, and, uh, and she ended up and spoiler alert here. I mean, if if you've got Wikipedia, you're going to know this, she won, but the whole story of that match and the stuff leading up to that match and, uh, 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 Billie Jean King, uh, coming out as gay, Bobby Riggs having big problems with gambling, uh, one scene that's pretty funny. He's in gamblers anonymous and he starts off making his speech. Hi, I'm Bobby. Uh, I'm a gambler. And he finally stands up. He's like, you know, and I think this is in one of the trailers. He's like, he's like, you know what your problem is? You guys aren't here because you're gamblers. You're here because you're gamblers. <laughs> you're, you're no good. If you were good at it, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> so good. Uh, so I like that movie. But, you know, I'm into those, those types of stories. So good stuff there, too. Uh, that's it. A lot of stuff on the uh, yeah, we're, queue. We're cooking, man. I think with all the, and I saw so many great trailers and I know, and I haven't seen it yet. The new star Wars trailer, there's another one out. Um, I saw, I saw so many previews for so many good movies. Uh, the, the new deep throat movie, you see the preview for that one? Uh, I think I did. 
Yeah. So that one I saw because I went to the movies last week for the first time. I saw American Made. You, you talked about it. And you didn't uh, love it. I, no, I liked it. I, I just it wasn't, it's, you know, wasn't my favorite movie. I thought it was just a fun ride. I thought it was two hours yeah. of fun. Yeah, it was a cool movie. Yep. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the Winston Churchill one. You saw the preview for that one yet? No. Oh, so that one has the makings of the, the same thing as like the King's Speech. It's Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill. Where you go, those two people don't look the same. When you look at them, they they pack some weight on that dude. Wow. To make him look like you know that portly Winston Churchill guy that that he was. You know the King's Speech, which I thought was one of the better movies of all time. Ever. I think. Yes. You know, and like how that guy turned into a leader, basically, and it's kind of the same thing. Like Winston Churchill was not anybody's pick to be prime minister. I guess was he prime minister? Gosh, I feel yes. terrible not knowing yes. that. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yes. but anyways. Uh, was he? No, he was king. Pick. He was king. He was definitely not king. That I know. He was emperor. He must have been emperor. <laughs> yes, he was. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Well, I, did, I, I didn't know if they called him prime ministers back then or if they called him like the secretary, you nope. know, like secretary of something. But it looks like his whole, you know, he's the long shot and he's and everybody's like, we should surrender. And the scenes are like, we will Never believe in surrender. Yes. We'll die with the yes. pitchforks in our hand. Yes. You know, yeah. bring it, you yeah. know, and that kind of rallied the country and kind of buoyed the spirits and let them, you know, of course, uh, on the voice. That one looks pretty cool. Um, I saw so, I, like I saw so many. The new movie by Guillermo del Toro looks really good. The one with the creature. Have you seen the creature in the tank and the woman who is uh, signing? During the movie, did, did you see the previews for that one? No, no, I haven't. Oh, so good. I mean, it, it just, I told Cheryl after about four of them, I just, I said, I just want to stand up and take my wallet out and just throw it at the screen and tell them to just take my money. Just, just take it after. And, but it makes me mad that we're now in October and we have had a dumpster fire of a year for the movie theater. And all of a sudden they're all going to come out in two months and I'm not going to get to see them all. I'm, I'm, there's just not enough of me to go around. Like why, why we don't spread. I, I get why they don't spread it out, but man, I wish that they'd spread it out. The moolah. Ah. It's about the moolah. Which means I'm going to sign up for movie pass now. I wasn't going to do it because I wasn't going to the theater as much, but I think because you can cancel it anytime you want. And it's what's movie pass. Movie pass is where you pay 10 bucks a month and you see as many movies as you want. You can go once every 24 hours. So I'm going to say good deal. Yeah. Well, for me, yeah. I mean, even the, like the reserve seating and stuff like that, even the, the good movies. I don't know about that. You'll have to check that, but you can go once a day. It is every, I mean, it's my local Cinemark AMC got angry about it. United artists, what they say, 98% of the theaters in America, I think, uh, somewhere like that. Anyway, movie pass, movie pass. I'll if you want to, sp- if you want to sponsor the show, movie pass, we yeah, love to have it. you. Right. All right. As if they're not running into red already. Uh, with If you look at their business model, they're totally running in the red. So they get a bunch of people to subscribe, hoping that, you know, they end up making money later by us not going to the movies and still paying for it. Mm-hmm. Almost like any of these subscription programs, right? They make money yeah. when you don't use it as much as. Yeah. As, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. See you next okay. time. Okay. Got to go. See you. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, 
who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.